Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. I'm Matt Salis, and here with me today, back by popular demand, is my wife, Sherry Salis. Hi, Sherry. Morning. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Good. So, thanks for, for agreeing to do this again. I know it's not your favorite thing in the world, but uh, your voice is definitely having an impact. We get a lot of feedback from listeners that um, really appreciate appreciate hearing your side of a drinking saga. And um, I know I appreciate it and I enjoy talking to you. So thanks for being here. You're welcome. Today, um, today the, the topic I think we should kick around, Sherry, is the... The way alcohol just continues to have an impact um, on my life, certainly, and I feel like on our relationship to, to a lesser degree, going forward, even even now in coming up on a three-year anniversary of sobriety, um, the, the, the impact is much less. It's not like, you know, now that I don't drink, it's not like it's a daily turmoil kind of thing, um, but the... Use of alcohol by other people, my my opinion, the way my opinion has changed about alcohol, um, that continues to haunt me to, to like I said to a lesser degree and and have a a little bit of um, influence on relationships, both our relationship and then relationships with others as well. So I thought a good place to start maybe would be can can you talk a little bit about how your drinking changed over the years and maybe you know go back as far as when we met when we were in college and um and we were in our young 20s and partying was just what we did what was what was your um viewpoint on alcohol and and alcohol being kind of the life of the party back then well a lot of my friends um at the time that you and I met, we were all bartenders together, and so we had kind of late nights. So we didn't, we would kind of go over to somebody's place, usually a place that had like people that were roommates that all worked together at the bar. So it was, we were all up, and there would be a few beers, and there would also be pot. And I don't feel like I drank as much then as I did just because of my hours. And really for me, um, alcohol just kind of left me with hangovers a lot. So when we did like go out, if it was like our nights off or something and my friends and I would go out and um, drink, I just planned on having a severe hangover the next day and just kind of muster through it. Um, and then when I met you, a lot of your friends were big drinkers um, and we would, you know, drink and I felt like I just increased my alcohol intake more with you because you didn't do anything else and we would go out when you say didn't do anything else you mean like like I didn't smoke weed right yeah right um and not because I was prudish or whatever or anti it just wasn't your thing either yeah I mean if alcohol could do as much for me as it could I didn't need anything else right and you know marijuana was illegal and 
you know, alcohol wasn't because we were both over 21, so... I don't know how big a factor that really was because weed was pretty readily available. I mean, yeah, not I mean, like we live in a caught. state where it's legalized now. Yeah. Okay, I guess... But I mean, I, I guess... we wouldn't, like, be walking around with it in our pockets or anything. Well, I think that... Kind of, like, versus opening, having an open beer. Or... I think that explains the difference, the different times when you would drink versus smoke... If you were going out, like you said, you you knew you had to plan for a hangover the next day, but you knew you'd be drinking because it isn't like back then that you would take edibles or right. anything like that. You if you were out, you were drinking, and if you stayed home, yeah, in your apartment, then you would smoke pot, right? Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> you yeah. mentioned you mentioned um, when we met that my friends were big drinkers. I think. We should tell just the quick story of the night we met. Do you remember the night we met, Sherry? Um, yeah, on your birthday. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you remember because I don't. It yeah. was my 21st birthday, right? Yeah, yeah. And you were working that night. You were at the bar. Yep. And when my friends... And and when we got to, to Kilroy's, to the bar where you and I worked, well, where I eventually worked, but where you were working yep. that night, when we got there, I was uh, already probably blackout drunk I mean, well right. I was I don't remember even entering the bar um but we, we were just there to polish me off right yeah yeah so what was the first thing that you said to my friends when they dragged me in there well so the story starts a little bit earlier than just you coming into the bar your friend um was one of the bouncers at and the door guys at the bar and good job leaving his name out you started to say it and you stopped yourself yeah. well done Sherry and then um he had asked me Earlier that week, he saw on the schedule that I had what they called the back pit. So it was like a section of rectangular section of tables, <clears throat> and it was close to um, a uh, um, bartending station back there. So it was kind of ridiculous in some ways for there to be a wait staff person there, and I was so that was my section for um, that night. And so he said, "Hey, I've got a friend whose birthday is." You know, I don't remember what night of the week it was, and I saw you're working, and I want the back pit. And I said, well, I need money up front, and you guys are going to clean up any vomit, because if you were a server and you over somebody and they vomited, you had to clean up. But that was, so we kind of made these arrangements, and I also knew your fraternity was cheap. So, well, they <laughs> so you wanted to tip. make sure you didn't get stiffed. Yeah, they wanted to make sure, because they, they were going to order from the bartender, because they had to make relationships with the bartender. So I had money up front, and there was an agreement of them cleaning up any vomit. And then you walked in, and I was like, well, who's the birthday boy? Because you didn't seem, like, overtly drunk. Everybody else seemed a little more ridiculously drunk and giddy. And um, I didn't think it was your 21st birthday because you looked a lot older than a lot of your fraternity brothers. So, um, so you know, I was just like, what? Is this 21st? Like, that's crazy. And, you know, they were just, like you said, to polish you off and had really nasty, terrible shots for you to drink. and Death shots, we called them, right? Uh, I don't remember. What you don't death, remember that? Death shots, I think. Yeah, yeah, there was a whole, we had a whole death shot menu where you take. Yeah, didn't your fraternity have a shot that was made up by one of your fraternity brothers? Uh, yes. Years, like, that had just like. I think so. The grossest liquors available. Yeah. Yeah, we would take things like Campari and Galliano and Sambuca, things that are barely drinkable on their own, and blend them together and then put Tabasco in it. And say, here you go. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, 
yeah, the bar didn't want you to overserve, and they made you clean up if you did. But the bar was complicit in this as well because yeah. they had a whole menu of these. Right. I mean, things that would make a sober. Yeah, the fu person. frat boy wasn't that the name. The of fu the... frat boy was one of the death shots. Absolutely. Yeah. So. And yeah. So I just think that's that. So for, from where we were then to where we are now, you know, quite a quite a transition. I was also bald that night, right? Uh, no, because that was in March, and then then. <clears throat> You turn 21 at the beginning of March, and then Little 500 is in April, middle end of April, beginning of May. Oh, so I wasn't quite bald yet? No, and then the I, second time I saw you It was, was my junior year, and I decided it was going to be my last opportunity ever to have a mohawk, so I, um, I cut... I had a friend cut a mohawk into my head. The the reasoning being I was going to start interviewing for jobs soon in my senior year, so if I, and I just had to have a mohawk. So I cut the mohawk, and then it was hard to spike and maintain. So then I just shaved it all, and it didn't grow back for a while. It was terrifying. But early on in our meeting and our relationship, I had this bald, oblong-shaped head. Um, You also came in wearing a T-shirt that said the spare tires. Oh, yeah. With you and a couple others from Making fun of our fat roll around our midsection. You're freshman 15. Freshman 40 for me. Yeah. Okay. Nice, nice walk down memory lane. So you were smoking pot when you were staying home, but when you were going out, you were drinking. And when you were going out and drinking, although you knew you had to prepare for the hangover the next day, you weren't holding back, right? I mean, you were, you were a typical young 20 college kid um, going yeah, after I mean, There were definitely occasions, like I remember not overdoing it or being the designated driver, just because I knew that. And when I first started working at the bar and then there was just a lot of over serving and stuff but you know I wouldn't say every time I went out but I definitely knew that part of the relationship I had with alcohol that it really messes me up it makes me feel like crap the next day and I couldn't work very well and focus and so and I just also didn't have the financial income so if we went out I knew that there would be a lot of the night that I would have to try to We'd either have to go to a bar where we knew the bartenders that would give us breaks or I'd have to try to encourage, like, friends and people in our, in our, you know, in the bar to buy drinks. So here we are, 25 years into our relationship, and I'm actually learning some new stuff. I didn't realize how mindful you were of drinking even back then. I, I mean, I was just, you know, full speed ahead. And I didn't realize that you actually thought about some of these things. You know, hey, am I in a position to be, um, you know, in a bad shape the next day and um, alcohol is more expensive and things like that. I didn't even realize that you were you were considering it. I thought early on we were both in the same boat. But that's very interesting. But then how did things change when we, you know, after graduation we moved to Minnesota and we weren't married but we were living together and we both had professional nine to five jobs you were in a bank and I was um, in, a, in a sales job for a big industrial company and uh, you know we would come home at the end of the day and I would immediately pour a cocktail or two because that's what I had grown up with um, but that your reaction to that that didn't set very well with you did it no because I just thought <clears throat> what's the point of drinking I mean you're not in a social and... What's the right? point of drinking? 
What's the point of not drinking? <coughs> well, you, we weren't in a social setting. We weren't, like, there wasn't any, I don't know. I, I guess it just boils down to the fact that I didn't get, like, the, you know, the feelings that you did about drinking. And already by that point, we had had a number of arguments when we were drinking that I just didn't, it just didn't seem logical to me to come home and, and drink, you know. I mean, I think... On a Tuesday night. I think um, one way to look at that is that you were maturing. And, because, I, I mean, honestly, this is very typical in relationships where alcohol becomes a big problem. One party matures and the other one doesn't. Um, it's, it's very typical that it's the male that keeps going, like the party's never going to end, and the female that weans off as adulthood sets in. So I think that's part of it but I mean I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that our our backgrounds right my right. my fa- my father drank every single day of my childhood he'd come home from work and have a couple gin and tonics while he talked to my mom before dinner um, and then uh, your in your family your father was an alcoholic and so is it fair to say that that's the point? When you saw me drinking every day and, and you and like you just said, you said, what's the point? I don't understand. It's Tuesday evening. Um, you, you, your childhood started to impact your thought process a little bit. Were you, were you looking at that saying, gosh, I don't want what happened with my father to happen here in this situation? No, I don't think that was the point that it started because I didn't live with my father. And when I would go with him on the weekends when it was our... Because my parents were divorced, I would see him. And he often had to work like a half a day Saturday or until like two or something on Saturdays. Um, So he would pick us up Friday night and he lived with his parents. um, And then he would like pick us up. um, That was my sister and I. And then he would go work on a car that he was fixing up in their barn and he would have some beers and my sister would go out there with him and I would sit inside with my grandparents or outside or playing in the you know in the other part of the barn with the cat barn cats or something so I just didn't really see the day-to-day transactional drinking that like I feel like is quote-unquote cocktail hour go have a have a drink or two or a glass of wine or um I didn't see that as normal. I saw that as just weird and like like it wasn't a big event. I mean, my mom would drink occasionally, like when it was a big event, she or my stepdad, not on a day-to-day basis. So it didn't it didn't start to kick in like, oh, this is all bringing back childhood memories. So, less of an impact from what you're you had gone through experiencing with your dad. Yeah, because I'd see him but on the weekends. more of just, this isn't normal. Matt, you think this is normal because your dad did it. I'm here to tell you this isn't normal. Yeah, I just I just didn't see the point of putting it in your body every day. And like I said, it wasn't, I just didn't get the feeling of, of it. And yeah, I'm sure if I had a couple cocktails, like if we had friends over for dinner or went out with friends or something and had a couple drinks, you know, then I would, yeah. then I would do that. But not just being home. Well, so, so that at this at this point, uh, we're in our mid twenties, no kids, not not even quite married. We uh, 
you're a weekend drinker, but you're still up for the party when the party happens on the weekend at this point, right? Yeah, one night <clears throat> for sure because of just the hangover. So if you, I know that you said I worked at a bank, so a lot of times you and your friends would go out for happy hour on Friday and then it would kind of extend mm-hmm. to longer hours. And a lot of times... It's funny how that on, happens. Yeah, and I had to work on Saturdays. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then, so, you know, there would sometimes be some separation of... Of me going home, or you would stay and continue to drink at home, and I would be trying to get sleep. But right. then we would definitely try to figure out a way to go out on Saturday nights. And we weren't going to church regularly, or at that point at all. Um, yeah. So well, okay. No obligation Sunday mornings. Um. So we got married. Um, my drinking... Um, continued to be more and more of a problem from the standpoint that we would argue um, with increasing frequency, increasing severity. I think I I started to disgust you with the, with the quantity and frequency that I drank. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it was... That's fair to say. And it would just be sometimes just the irrational thinking that would just kind of... Make me, I don't know. Like, what's an example? Oh, like, if you were drinking, and I don't know, I remember told you something about, because we were, at that point, when we lived in Chicago, we were being co-treasurers of this really tiny church. That didn't have any money? That didn't have any money. That sure was fun. Yeah. Um, so, there was just a lot of, like, like, so we felt sort of stressful about some of the problems the church was having, I think. And I... Missed meeting by half an hour, like with the the staff in the evening, because I had forgotten I had signed up for this aerobics class downtown, and I said, "Oh, that the pastor was really kind of crabby and shitty," and we had already like been out. We were coming home that night, and um, I had told you that you got just really, really upset and like wanted to tell her off and tell her we weren't going to be part of the church, and you know. It was just very, like, out of nowhere. You just got so angry. Sure. And protective, I'm sure. Protective in that case. And in the next case, I was probably mad at you for something that was also irrational. Right? I mean, yeah. so that's a good example. I was just flying off the handle with irrationality yeah. at this point. Yeah. The long, long-term long effect of, of daily and consistent drinking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> so that started to disgust you. Yeah, and I think... Well, Chicago definitely made it worse because we were where, like where we were, we had disposable income and we had lots of bars around us and then lots of friends that wanted to come visit us or lots of friends that lived in the Chicago area that the would come into town, come the in suburbs, yeah. and they would come in to town and they would spend the night with us and of course there had to be a big party and yeah, it was. And you were going out drinking with clients and you knew you could take cabs home and stuff, so that's when well, yeah, like the when I was smart enough scotch. to take a cab home. Yep. Well, because parking was kind of yeah hard. So then, so I think your drinking is following a very natural progression. We got married. We, uh, you know, we didn't have kids right away, but but eventually we had our first child. And my recollection, you you had no problem being sober through your pregnancy. That that was not like you knew that was the right thing to do, and that was not a struggle for you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Even. I'm- I mean, it even seemed at times we had four kids, so I'm 
my memory's not as good as yours. I'm going to just glom all the pregnancies together. But it seemed at times it was almost a welcome excuse for you not to drink. You you had yeah. reached a point where you were disgusted by drinking from what you saw from me to some extent, didn't like the hangovers. And if you could go to an event and say, I'm not drinking because I'm pregnant, that was a relief to you, was it not? Yeah, but I don't feel like I had any issue saying I'm not drinking because I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it just never was that kind of issue. I didn't feel that pressure. But you could I mean, still maybe get your later arm on. twisted. Yeah, I mean, there were to, definitely hey, times we had to on, pretend Sherry. that I was doing Jello shots when I was newly pregnant before we told anybody because we didn't want to make it look weird since we had we were tailgating and right. I'm just saying, you but it was really easy to be, and it was really a, you know, it was really. Not a problem for me not to drink at all. Right. Right. Okay. Um, So things progress. And then as I start to get deeper and deeper into trouble, and my drinking is clearly, uh, you know, I'm clearly crossing line into addiction. Um, The depression I'm suffering is awful. I'm waking you up at 3 o'clock in the morning and... um, you know, telling you how bad I feel and you're getting dragged into it. So you're, you're involved when we argue, you're involved when I'm depressed, you're involved when I'm moping around the house Monday and Tuesday after a heavy weekend of drinking. Um, it's just, you know, and we've, 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 I've written and we've talked, um, a lot about that particular segment, but things started to change for you. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. Your drinking all but ceased at this point. And is it fair to say you were just so disgusted by what you saw that alcohol kind of stopped having a place for you in your life? Is that like, how would you describe it? Well, I also felt like I didn't want, well, the kids needed somebody sober, somebody readily available because they were young. And I mean, You know, this started, like, you know, kind of into our second child where it, like, when I was working at the bakery and we um, closed at six, like, Friday nights, you were already by, like, seven because I felt like we just took so long to close in the beginning and clean up and we didn't do anything beforehand. So sometimes it'd be seven or 7.15 and you were already really drunk. You weren't neglecting the kids, but you certainly weren't engaging with them. And you weren't, I mean, they were watching little, like, videos. And so I thought, they don't deserve two parents that are involved in this. So your turn away from alcohol, largely, you still drink occasionally, but your turn away from alcohol was, is it, Am I describing it properly if I say it was a combination between my husband is disgusting and also um, mothering instinct and protection of the kids? Not just protection, but like you said, not just plopping them down in front of a video, but nurturing them and being involved with them. Yeah, and not putting alcohol first. So that's a really important point you make right there. Um Part of what has caused us massive problems in our relationship has been, you know, our we we were both, we have always been both 1,000% faithful to each other. One thing 
that we're both very thankful for is infidelity has never been something with all the stuff we've had to deal with infidelity isn't one of them however you kind of went through infidelity because it became clear that alcohol was more important to me than you and so you didn't want to ever put alcohol in front of the kids right I mean, and by that point, I had already, you know, we had already kind of learned and discussed, and and I was aware that your side of the family thought drinking all the time, you know, for a couple of beers at lunch when we were on vacation, and cocktail hour, and having wine with dinner, and all of that, and every time, you know, like, the holidays would come, because we hosted family since we had the bakery, we couldn't leave, and we also had little kids, so we hosted, that there had to be this big event of bringing alcohol in the house, and alcohol, and wine, and beer, and all the right, you know, mixers, and so it just, it seemed to me like alcohol got all the attention, and I certainly wasn't going to be the family member, and the community member that raised our kids, making them aware that alcohol was the center of the event. And I know that, you know, my mom wasn't like that, but if I had other relatives that had sometimes helped from my side of the family, there was alcohol involved. And I just didn't like the way it affected her when she drank, when she came out. I just... Your mom... No, not my mom. Oh, other family members. Other Sorry. family members. I lost you for a second. I'm with yeah. You. So, you know, and then it was hard just because there would be holiday events that would be negative memories, too. Yeah. Well, I think that's very typical, right? We, When we get together with family, it's celebratory times. And with celebratory times comes alcohol at, at even a larger consumption. And, and so that ingrains the memories that we all would like to forget so that's very very typical so you're developing this opinion that alcohol just needs to be de-emphasized you're still drinking but more and more less or less and less frequently right yeah um and i and it reaches a point where you're pretty disgusted with alcohol's place in society, alcohol's place in our overall bigger family, alcohol's role in my life as being number one in front of you and the kids. Um, and you've still got from way back when that that feeling of, I, I just don't like to drink all that much because I don't like to deal with a hangover. Right. So you've got a lot of things going against you. And it gets to the point where I'm basically begging you to drink with me sometimes. Not, not when we necessarily go out, but if we're... Just at home, yeah. If we're going to be home, which... which four kids is becoming more and more frequent. I mean, we rarely go out and we're almost always home and I'm basically on a Saturday night begging you to drink with me. Yeah. I mean, and that happened even before, I mean, before the four kids, like it was something certainly between two, two and three kids where you're like, it would just be nice if you would come down and sit and watch whatever you were watching on TV in the family room after the kids were in bed and have some drinks with me. And then you would always encourage me that and then sometimes I would you know participate and try to do it your way and then like you I don't really like beer that much and I certainly didn't like any of the beers you drank and you had a kegerator for quite a while and ugh, that was just 
the grossest beer. I'm sorry, IPAs, double IPAs, yuck, yuck, yuck. So I drank hard ciders or like fruity beers. Um, so we would keep some in the downstairs refrigerator and I would have one occasionally with you or you would make me a mixed drink and then when I would not drink it, you would get mad because it wouldn't be enough drinking. Yeah. Yeah, that that was that was terrible. You're weaning off and I'm going full speed ahead and I wanted you to join me. And your your feelings now make perfect sense to me, but at the time I just did not get it. I felt like you were the one that changed, not me, because I was still doing exactly what I was doing when we met and what, you know, you, you had gone away from me basically and um that's what's called you know maturing which we're all supposed to do and now looking back I feel obviously I feel terrible about that but at the time I thought you you know before I really embraced the fact that I had an addiction I thought you were the one that had the problem because I hadn't changed you were the one that changed and uh, that caused monumental problems in our relationship, argument-wise. Fair to say that? Yeah. Well, in your perspective of... You probably didn't feel like you were drinking all that much because you used to tell me, I'm doing what every other normal American That's right. man does. That's right. I'm coming home. I'm having some drinks. I'm drinking more on the weekends. You know, because I have the weekend off. I deserve it. It's like you were a beer commercial. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I to drink during the good that's how I felt almost all the way right to the end. So then the end does come, and I stop drinking. Now, there are lots of, uh, of attempts to quit drinking and relapses over really a 10-year period. There, over the, a 10-year period, most of it I'm drinking, but there were multiple attempts to quit. One lasting as long as nine months. A couple of times I made it six months. So I don't think either of us had our blinders on with regard to the fact that this was something serious in our lives at this point. Because once you go six months without drinking, I mean, even if even if on the outside you, you decide, oh, I can handle it, and you start drinking again, on the inside you, you never have any doubt but that there's there's something wrong at that point. So that's a really challenging period. Finally, 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 I quit. I quit for good. And initially, I'm so embarrassed that I'm an alcoholic and even more embarrassed about my sobriety when we're in social settings that I called you at the beginning our our relationship's designated drinker. Instead of designated driver, you were the designated drinker because I didn't want to look like we were both social pariah when we would go to neighborhood parties or or weddings or whatever event we were invited to uh, I felt like it was easier for me to just blend into the shadows as the weirdo that's not drinking if you were drinking and rather than make it look like we were I don't know um activists against drinking I thought if you at least drank they would say all right they're still normal that guy over there is just being weird tonight is that does that ring up? Do you remember when I would kind of push you to drink when we would Yeah, because you would say you wanted to be the... You were just telling people that you were driving. And I know for 
a while I tried to enforce, like during our the tenure of you figuring out that alcohol is more than just um, a liking. It's an addiction. We had more, tried to have more rules of comfort when we go out. Like, no, whoever was the designated drinker couldn't drink at all. De- designated driver couldn't or, drink Or sorry, the all. designated driver couldn't drink at all. And then, so then I think that's what spawned the designated drinker because you didn't want, you know, and this happened a couple times when you had not gained sobriety permanently, but yeah. And so I'd be like, ugh, you like, you need to at least drink two or always have one in your hand. And so it doesn't look like I'm just being a loser, not drinking. doesn't look like we're weirdos. Yeah. Cause you just say, so my wife's all about, you know, I remember you were saying one time, like, cause you can say. Well, my wife's all about whoever is the driver can't have any alcohol. Because a lot of our events, the kids were there because they were family, neighborhood, friend gatherings. Right. Right. And I, I remember that. I remember even like I remember when we would go to my parents' house in the summer for a week with the to bring the grandkids to the grandparents and we'd all spend a week together. I would I remember basically forcing alcohol on you there. Um, that's a setting where you didn't, have, you know, occasionally you might have one or two throughout the week, but for the most part, you didn't feel any urge to drink. And I would, I would insist that you have a cocktail at cocktail hour just cause I don't know. I, it was, to, it was more than wanting to look normal in relationship to alcohol at that point. But that was I wanted our marriage thing. to look normal. Yeah. I mean, our, everyone knows when alcohol is involved in your marriage, that there's some serious underlying issues. And I just wanted us to look normal. And I thought if you drank while everyone else was drinking and it was only me that was not drinking, that our relationship would look normal. Yeah. So we go from that where you're the designated drinker in my mind to a period uh, for me of ambivalence. I didn't care if you drank or didn't drink. I was out. I had sent an email to 3000 people telling them that I was an alcoholic and that the party was over for me. And so at that point, I, I was not concerned when we would be in social settings about whether you drank or not because I wasn't trying to prove to anyone that we were fine or normal or that, like you said, I was just the designated driver for the night. I was clearly dealing with something, and I didn't care whether you drank or not. Um, do you, how, how did that period make you feel what was your relationship with alcohol for the first time in your life you could truly take it or leave it it was your decision um i don't feel like you i don't feel like you drank much for one thing um was that just the true sherry doing what she wanted to do yeah because i mean i had responsibilities and i was just the older i got even like two or three glasses of wine that could give me just a nasty headache for the next day so and like I said, I'm not a beer drinker, and a lot of places we would go would just be like, here's some beer and wine, and I didn't really like either. Um, so there's some friend, a group of friends of mine that has a uh, white elephant Christmas party, and I remember the first time that I went after you had stopped drinking, so it had almost been a full year. Mm-hmm. Um, they usually have like a, a signature cocktail or something, and so you were asking about it out of curiosity, and... Um, I didn't find you to be, like, overly jealous or overly curious. But, you know, I said, yeah, I had, like, one of those. And then I had uh, some sparkling waters. And um, I think, like, 
for me, I felt like you were just still surprised like I wasn't going to drink more at the party. Not like you were disappointed, um, but I just didn't have any desire to drink it. Like, I didn't want to get a buzz. It was on a Thursday night, you know, and I had things to do Friday. Yeah. I, so I think that's... I felt like good relief that I didn't feel pressured to drink, but I also didn't feel like you were telling me I couldn't drink occasionally because I think you understand that my relationship with alcohol was a lot different and even more maybe abnormal to the, you know, teetotaler side of not drinking yeah i was i i was definitely ambivalent i definitely it was it was actually kind of a cool period because i i mean you you brought that up i hadn't thought to say that i didn't feel jealousy it wasn't tempting for me when you drank at that point you drank great you didn't fine i think if you had gone hog wild and got all kinds of drunk that would have probably annoyed me pretty bad but and that's my own issue i mean after all the times i did that to you um i would have deserved it but but you never did um but i didn't feel jealousy and that was a that was a pretty cool period and then so that brings us to what i'm kind of experiencing now and it's not something i'm proud of it's one of the million things that i'm talking about that i'm not proud of about myself but because of all the research that I've done and the importance for me in learning about brain chemistry and the effects of alcohol on our neurotransmitters and the fact that alcohol is a poison in any quantity and that alcoholics like me, we do a lot of damage, but, but drinkers uh, in smaller amounts, social drinkers, moderate drinkers, they're still doing damage to their brains, just less damage than I did. Just based on all of that knowledge, we've come to the point where it's really hard for me when you drink. And it's really hard for me because I love you more than anything else in the world. And I am, you know, I'm into your health and my health. I'm into us um, being the best people we can be and, and getting rest and eating right and taking care of our kids and all of that stuff. And so this is just something that for me, it doesn't have a place anymore. And certainly there, there are two pieces to that. There's, there's the, what I know, right. The, what I've learned about brain chemistry, but there's also the baggage of what I've been through. So on the very rare occasion when you drink, it's really hard for me now. And like I said, I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of that. I, um, <laughs> you know, alcohol just continues to be toxic to me and continues to be toxic to our relationship, even now that it's 99% out of our lives. Because, um, like I said, on the very rare occasion that you drink, it makes me not angry, but disappointed, I think is fair. And makes me feel not close. I think that's the most important part of it. It makes me feel it feel distant for you because you know the same stuff I do, and that hurts. It's not there's not even a little incy bitsy tinge of jealousy in it for me. It's not that I wish I could be you and I wish I could drink. That is gone. 
it it's just purely God, that thing wreaked so much havoc on our lives that that liquid poison for so long and I just don't want it to be part of our lives so that's causing us problems too right on the very rare occasions when you drink you get judged now that's got to suck yeah I think you made an interesting point how when I drink even if it's one alcoholic beverage in front of you and or you know I've done it with friends um, that you don't feel close and I'm that's really really enlightening because I think oh and so you drank for all of our relationship up until recently you know until nearly three years ago and so if you feel that you're not close with me for the every once in a while then you must understand how I don't feel close to you for lots of times absolutely I absolutely understand and I'm I mean, I'm horrified by... So yours is that I'm disappointing you and not feeling close because I'm not listening to you. And then when I would try to talk to you about how I didn't feel like your drinking was normal in the beginning, I got shut down. And then I continued to watch you kind of be unfaithful, in a way, to me in the relationship by choosing alcohol over and over and over again. So it does feel a little bit like of a double standard in a lot of ways. Feels that way to me too. Feels petty and um, inconsiderate. I take this this buildup of twenty plus years of resentment that has taken place while you watched me overconsume and abuse alcohol and watched your feelings be ignored, and now while we're still trying to clean that up and we're still working to to get past that resentment i have the nerve to to let it um make me feel less close to you on the very rare occasion that you drink one or maybe two cocktails it's totally a double standard it's it's awful but it's it's how I feel and and I I mean I can't ignore it I can just push it down I can just try to avoid you on the again the rare occasions that you're drinking or um but when when we're rebuilding and we're making this effort to make the relationship closer um any any effort or any anything that gets in the way of that and makes us take steps backwards um, is really hard. I I think I've described our relationship as it it's I know this is cliche but it's it's like skating on thin ice. We can keep everything fine for a good period of time, but any any disruption, anything that causes a crack in the ice, the ice isn't thick enough yet to hold hold us up and that can be a can be a big problem so another thing about it that i want to get your opinion on is 
is our kids. We are very blessed. We have two in high school right now and two more behind them. And as far as we know, as far as we believe, they are not drinking or or smoking marijuana or doing any of the stuff that you and I were doing when we were in high school. They're they're great kids. I mean, the best kids, the best imaginable kids. And certainly I think one of the main reasons that they haven't gone down any bad paths, again, not trying to be naive as far as I can tell, as far as we can tell, but we're pretty sure we're right. The main reason, one of the main reasons they've made good decisions so far is because of what they know about what you and I have been through and my alcoholism and and how bad that was and how bad it, how how it affects our brains and, and all of the stuff that, that we talk about. Um, and so one of my biggest fears is that they will leave and go off to college or go out into the big bad world and do whatever they're going to do. And they'll go from zero to a hundred because they've never experienced things like like substances and and all the freedom that's involved with living on your own. And um, if my if my and and I and I'm I'm semi prepared for that. I guess I would say I I do not expect any of our four children to never drink. I don't expect that to be what they choose, and I'm not going to push them to choose that. Um, but I'm pretty scared. I'm pretty terrified that one one or several or all of them are going to go, gosh, we had this life where mom and dad you know, scared us of what could happen from alcohol. And then I tried it and man, it was wonderful. So they were wrong and they're going to get in trouble. And I think with my opinion of alcohol, when you have one or two drinks being so negative, I just can't even imagine how hard that's going to be for me. And I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Well, I definitely don't want any of them to turn into an alcoholic and abuse alcohol and look at it like it's what makes you happy. I think that that's part of what we've tried to instill in them is that using a substance to make you happy, whether it be, you know, pot or alcohol or, I mean, even overusing of prescription drugs when they don't have real depression issues and things. So I feel like... And then on a periphery that, level, there are the other things that we're conscious of, like porn and yeah, and uh, uh, vaping and all the stuff that's in the headlines right, these days. Right. We've talked about you know tobacco, and I've talked to them about tobacco being a really hard substance to come off of, too. And I know that we've been good about you know interjecting our opinions and being more open. I mean, I think it's going to be, what's going to make it worse is if they become adults and they have a, a drink occasionally. Um, I'm not going to get mad at them. I'm not going to be disappointed in them. What's going to be hard is your reaction. And then the, I'm going to have to hear you. Describe your feelings and your disappointment about it because I already know how it feels to have you disappointed in me. That it's going to be really hard to sit there and say, you know, watch you be disappointed in them when they did and so far have done, you know, one of them is a senior, so 
done really good and it's going to be really scary when they go out there and have that freedom I'm not as much worried about the oldest one I think she's seen enough to know that it's not a good thing and she doesn't really understand it and she even is when she sees some of her friends not friends close friends but people she knows in high school they're doing it she just thinks it's stupid and ridiculous in a lot of ways because she just doesn't see the benefit in it and the legal issues that can arise. And I think that she just finds people that are like-minded to hang out with, and I think she enjoys life on a different level. Like, she doesn't need to be saturated with artificial happiness. Does that make sense? It does. And I, and I understand your fear of my reaction, and I, it's very legitimate that you have that fear, I think I think I'm realistic enough and I really 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 mean this that when the time is right and I mean you'd be hard pressed to argue that the time is going to come in college that when that amount of freedom is presented to them and that amount of temptation and peer pressure and opportunity I mean I am I feel fully prepared for the idea that they're going to drink now if drinking becomes the center of their universe in college like it did for me, that will be hard for me, and I will not react well to that. And um, I'm just shooting shooting you straight, and I, I am not, again, I am not proud of the way it makes me feel when you drink. I do not think that it'll make me feel that way if my kids drink, but they do so responsibly, and that there are they're also participating in other activities a, a friend um, who has a, a kid that we know very, very well, known from birth, started college just this fall, just a month or so ago, and um, contacted me about his interest in joining a fraternity. And because I had I had spent four years in a fraternity, and I said, hey, I think that's great. I'm not going to poo-poo Greek life just because of what happened to me. But what I think is really, really, really important is if this young man also participates in intramural sports or gets involved with um, the you know um, clubs and activities in the school, whatever are at the top of his interest list, and not just let the fraternity be everything. Because if when we when we do that, that's when that's when alcohol easily becomes the center of the universe. And so I just. That's what I hope for our kids, too. If, if they want to go Greek, which I think is less important today than it was when you and I were, <coughs> were kids, but if that's the choice they make, that's fine, as long as they're doing other things as well, as, lo- as long as they're balancing the social with other he- you know, healthy things. And so I think my, my reaction to their drinking, as long as they don't go nuts like I did, will be pretty measured. I think it'll be okay. If they do get into trouble like I did, I don't know what I'll do, Sherry. I, I That'll be harder for me than what I've already been through. Harder for me than what you and I have already been through. I, I don't want to see our kids go down the same path because of what I know from our experience. And then back to what I said about brain chemistry because of what I know from the research, the research that we've done. So I'm very hopeful that we um, we don't have to deal with that. Um, they're such good, smart kids. 
the one thing I want to kind of end on, though, is how uncharted this water is. I don't have any role models or examples to lean on when it comes to parenting through high school and on into college and doing it in this way where alcohol is of grave concern. Because my my parents, this is not a criticism of my parents. They just didn't know any better. They didn't know what they didn't know. So they um, they they didn't talk to me about alcohol the way we talked to our kids. So the way we've chosen to do things, the way we've chosen to raise them and talk to them and be open with them, um, I don't have ex- examples to look at because everyone I know basically did what you and I did in college and drank with reckless abandon and were weren't weren't worried about the long-term impacts and so I don't know what the results will be from parenting the way we have being open about this they know about the blog they know about the podcast they know about all the damage done to our relationship so we don't yet know what the result of doing it this way is going to be because we haven't seen anyone else do it this way I'm not I'm not saying we're the first parents that emphasize the dangers of alcohol I'm just saying it's rare and it hasn't been anything that you and I have been exposed to. So how how do you, I mean, are you scared that the whole hog wild thing is going to happen and that they're going to, they're going to say, you know, my parents were nuts. I can't believe all the stuff that they kept us away from this. This stuff's the greatest alcohol and marijuana and sex and just go nuts when they get out there in the big bad world. Yeah, that's definitely a fear. I just think I, I think I have more fear for the younger ones. Um, for because one, they're they boys, they they're boys, as, and so and they like, weren't as exposed to. And they weren't as exposed, and um, I think they just like boys have a harder time in a lot of ways, um, like not being pressured more like in fraternities and also like for sex and things like that um you know i think that they expect guys to not be virgins when they go to college and well and peer pressure and also hormonally and yeah so i'm just fired up yep i'm more worried about them i think in a lot of ways yeah I think that our daughter has kind of proven through high school that she gets herself involved in extracurricular stuff that has her there, um, you know, and she's not been tempted, so. Hopefully that'll continue. Yeah. Well, all we can do is hope and pray because we haven't really seen this, this model of how to do it played out, so... Um, hopefully it'll work out for us. I, I guess, I guess the message of this discussion today, if there is a message is just to, to, for, for people who are walking in our shoes and unfortunately have been subjected to the same pain and punishment that we've had to deal with just to keep going. And I know, I know that sounds hollow, and it's, it's what every recovery warrior says, just keep going. But 
alcohol, I'm convinced, will continue to be toxic to us in our life and our relationship for the rest of our lives. And that's just part of it. And it's But it's transitioned from a really awful, I'm drinking, I'm an alcohol, active alcoholic, to I struggle now when I see people that I love that I'm very close to. I, I struggle when I see them drinking even moderately because I know what alcohol does to our brains. But, you know, today is much, much better than three years ago. Is that fair to say? With your alcohol... Yes. With our life, with our relationship, with yeah. the way we feel about each other. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have uncovered a lot of new issues, um, but it's easier to work through because there isn't the irrationality of alcohol and having that. And there isn't the denial. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to work through things when you refuse to exceed they exist. So it's better, and, and if you're... If you're there with us, I hope you'll keep going. I really do. And um, if you're the spouse of an alcoholic and your your drinker hasn't stopped yet, I hope you'll protect yourself, protect your kids, do just exactly what Sherry did, but but keep going as well. Don't don't stop trying and don't stop hoping. And but you and your kids have to come first. But also don't have a false optimism that once the alcohol is gone everything's fixed because that's when the work begins don't you think sherry yeah yeah i you're done with words for now aren't you yeah that's enough talking yeah all right well alcohol continues to be toxic to us that maybe that's what i'll title this when i put it up but um but much less toxic now than it used to be but um, but in new ways, new and unexpected ways. And that's the, the, there's always something new with addiction and recovery from addiction. There's always something unexpected around every corner. So we've got some more fun stuff to look forward to. Who knows what's next, right, Sherry? Yeah, I don't know what's next. At least we'll face it together. There's some optimism. Yep. I love you. All right, for Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. This has been the Intoxicated Podcast, and we thank you very much for listening. <laughs>